Welcome to this episode of Stand Out, the podcast to better your business, brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Listen in, and you'll walk away with insights from exemplary members who share their business acumen and the newest ideas from authors and thought leaders relevant to the organizing and productivity industry. And now, here's your host, longtime NAPO member, Claire Kumar. So hello and welcome to this episode of NAPO's podcast, Stand Out, your podcast all about bettering your organizing and productivity business. If you've been listening to Stand Out for a while, you no doubt have heard me talk about high sensitivity. It's a trait that affects one in five people in the general population, but I have a hypothesis I've been testing out for a few years, and I think there is a much higher prevalence of this trait in the organizing and productivity community. Also in the coaching community, I did a survey a couple of weeks ago and I think it was about 55%. So I'm hoping this conversation is really relevant to many of you personally and also with respect to how it shows up in your business. In fact, I attribute my choosing organizing as a profession in large part because of my high sensitivity. And I also attribute my success working with clients to this trait as well. That's not to say it doesn't come with challenges. And that's why I'm so excited. You'll understand why I'm thrilled to have Melody Wilding with us today. She is an HSP thought leader. She is the author of Trust Yourself, Stop Overthinking and Channel Your Emotions for Success at Work. She works with high achievers. Let me tell you a little bit more about Melody. You may have read her contributions already in Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Fast Company, Business Insider, you may have seen her in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Oprah Magazine, and so many other high-profile publications. She's been listed as Business Insider's most innovative coach, or one of the most innovative coaches, and her list includes CEOs, executives, and top performers at companies like Google, Facebook, IBM, and Netflix, all companies you would know and enjoy. Melody, is, she's a licensed social worker, and she brings that expertise along with a master's degree from Columbia University and former research experience at Rutgers University. And today she's a professor of human behavior at Hunter College. Melody, I am so thrilled to have you with us today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So I want to start by asking you, what do you think of my hypothesis that while the trait shows up in one in five, that it's quite overrepresented in the organizing productivity and the coaching profession? What do you think? I would say that is 100% spot on in my experience too. I, I can't tell you, I've had many folks who are in professional organizing who are either my private coaching clients or in my programs. And also so many folks who either are already coaches, but I've always been astounded by the number of clients I work with who may be in your typical fortune 500 field and then decide to become coaches. So I think there's definitely a lot to this hypothesis that we highly sensitive people gravitate to certain fields and industries and professions because of the way it matches our strengths and our aptitudes. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In the general population, I've been looking for some kind of statistics on the awareness of the trait. It's like we have low brand recognition, I would say. Do you have any sense in your work? Have you got a sense of what percentage of people actually know about this trait? Mm, the awareness is a is a great question. I don't know of stats, at least verified, well-researched stats around the awareness. But what we do know is that what most research studies show is that 15 to 20% of the population, so as you said, one in five people, that's over 1.4 billion people across the world. Just a few. Just a few. Just a few. <laughs> are highly sensitive. And actually what more recent studies show is that that percentage might actually be more. It might actually be around 20 to 30%. And you know, in my work, I think there is a selection bias that I tend to attract more of those people. But I do think the numbers might even be higher than we're aware. But certainly it's not something that that's very well known. I think because of the bad reputation that being sensitive has. So no one traditionally, at least not up until the last five to seven years has even want, wanted to admit that they're sensitive. But I think luckily we're starting to see that change. Yeah, I've noticed a shift. I've been giving leadership workshops throughout the pandemic on, you know, how do we address this new world of work that we're in? And two years ago, I was talking about empathy, which is one of the elements of the trait. And I would ask attendees, can you give me a story of an empathetic leader? And it was crickets. There was no comment to be had. I asked the same question about two weeks ago. And out of the small group of attendees, three people had stories. So I thought there is a shift underfoot and we're starting to realize these soft, hard skills are in demand leadership qualities. So I'm gonna do a quick run through for listeners of a high sensitivity as I see it with the traits. And then I wanna come in and relate it back to your book, which is so full of value and it's so practical. I loved, loved, loved reading it. Let me, I'll just give this quick overview. I use an analogy seed and seed actually stands for the fact that we have such incredible talent within us. And if we nurture and grow, we can really stand in the strengths of everything that's there. And SEED stands for sensitivity. So this, this sensitivity to stimuli, and also the chance to be overstimulated. If we have too much stimuli, you know, too much stimuli coming in, then that's one of the, the things we notice the world can be far too overwhelming at times. The first E is for empathy, this quality of being able to stand in somebody else's shoes and really imagine what they're going through. The second one is emotional responsiveness. And so our brains react to things we, we have in brain imaging, it will show our brain firing far more. So we have a higher startle response, for example. And then we have an opportunity to turn that into a thoughtful response or we could unleash and react and let our words fly and maybe not have the best outcome, right? And then D is for depth of processing. We are our deep thinkers. We connect a lot of dots. We are creative problem solvers. We can also get mightily stuck in analysis paralysis and be perfectionists, highly conscientious driven people. And so with that wealth of strength, I love in the book, you acknowledge all of that and then you also focus, you have a model, which maybe we can just touch on briefly. I want to share the word because it's super powerful. And then just invite you to share what you'd like to share with this group of professionals who work 
a lot one-on-one with people, sometimes with the team managing a move, sometimes embedded in an organization, focusing on organizing and productivity. Yeah. And so our models are are very compatible <laughs> in this way. So yours is seed, mine is strive. So really where my work has come in is that, yes, there are highly sensitive people, but there is almost a subset of highly sensitive people who are also very high achieving. So I call these people sensitive strivers. So they have that combination of traits of the high sensitivity, but they're also very career-oriented, ambitious. They put a lot of pressure on themselves to succeed. And so my model is very aptly called Strive, and many of the aspects are shared with your seed model. Two, I want to point out that are a little bit different or additive for this type of personality is number one, responsibility. So we sensitive strivers, we are very loyal, we're dedicated. I was just talking to another client who was telling me, and this is very common, that they've been at their same company for 25 years. And you know, in this day and age, that's extremely uncommon. But for us sensitive strivers, that loyalty and dedication is just part of our DNA, who we are. So we are the person you can count on to follow through. But as you were talking about, all of these qualities have shadow sides. If we don't have the tools to manage them correctly, or if they are overused, if they are used in excess, they can begin to get in our way. So responsibility, particularly I'm thinking of a few clients who were or are professional organizers who felt over-responsible for their clients' outcomes or who over-functioned and did too much for, for their clients to the point where many times we can deprive our clients of their own independence and agency and they become dependent on us for direction and they don't learn the skills they need to learn for themselves. So responsibility is one I would add on as well as inner drive. So that is that desire to be the A plus student, get all the gold stars. So I'm sure many of your listeners can relate to setting big goals for themselves, setting a lot of goals for themselves. But again, as you can imagine, it's wonderful because you're accomplishing great things and making an impact but that can lead to perfectionism, that nothing is ever enough and that you are overworking yourself to the bone and burnout, of course. So those are the two I would add on there. In addition, that I particularly see with sensitive strivers. 100%. I'm nodding and smiling because I just identify with, with all that so much. And I think in the book, if I'm remembering correctly, is it with inner drive, you talk about the honor roll hangover? Is, is that with that or responsibility? I can't remember where that fell, but I just read that and went, oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, overall. So the, this honor roll hangover is the idea that what made us successful, as I was saying, I'm sure Claire, you can relate to this, that when you were younger, I'm sure you were the gold star student, want to do everything right, check all the boxes. And then we carry that mentality over with us into our careers. But the things that made us successful made us the honor roll student when we were younger, start to get in our way. And so that is, for me, I define that honor roll hangover trifecta as perfectionism, which is striving for flawlessness. Maybe you consciously know you can't achieve that. But what perfectionism is really about is self-criticism. I'm never enough. I'm inadequate. And you focus on all of your flaws and are highly self-critical. So perfectionism, people-pleasing, 
never saying no, changing your opinion. So it meets what somebody else wants. And then over-functioning, as I mentioned, that doing too much, taking on too much responsibility, where it leads others to under-function, not to step up and take on their part. So that's the trifecta of the honor roll hangover. I, I just love the language. I love both things. The language that you've used that evokes you know, an understanding immediately. It was like connecting dots left and right. And then the practicality of how to think about this and emerge through some of the challenges that show up. For sure, I totally relate to that perfectionism thinking. And, and I think back to so many examples where I've had to sort of step into a place. I'm reading Kristen Nuff's book now, Fear, Self-Compassion. And it's been a power tool for kind of unlocking some of this and almost even letting go of a lot of struggle. So I think you provide a clear path to do that, which is really powerful in the book, which again is trust yourself, stop overthinking and channel your emotions for success at work. So can we just talk for a second about this channeling the emotions? So we are emotionally responsive. We are emotionally perceptive. What can we do to harness those emotions and have them work for us and not against us? Yeah, such a wonderful question. And, you know, I think especially in this profession, your ability to connect with people can be your business superpower. The ability to use that empathy to understand, you know, I, I can remember personal organizing or professional organizing clients who have come to me and said, the reason why I stand out and people hire me is because I see beyond just the organization problem. I see the emotions and the pain and the struggle that is blocking someone from being able to let go of, of their belongings, for example, and give things away and move on. And so being able to hear and understand, perceive what's not being said is incredibly powerful. And I think that is a way that we can channel that emotionality. And as you were saying, those mirror neurons that we have, our brains are more active in those areas of perceiving and understanding other people's emotions. So use that, channel that to make a bigger impact for people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely resonate with that too. Can you share some practical ways that we can, if we're feeling emotionally drained, like we're carrying too much? we're carrying too much of that emotional energy that our clients are sort of saying here, boom, I've got all this and I'm sharing it with you. How do we insulate ourselves? How can we protect ourselves from some emotional exhaustion that might come with challenging or difficult clients? Well, this might resonate with people. And the idea is using your emotions as signals that they are important data that can give you direction to the actions you need to take. So in particular, in the book, I share one sort of diagnostic or tool you can use. I call it the four feelings test. And the idea here is I'll, I'll share with you the most powerful part of it, which is anywhere where you identify the emotion of resentment is where you need to set a boundary. And I think maybe Claire, you can relate to this, but in business, there are some things you do where you just have that sense of dread, or you get that feeling in your gut that oh, do I really have to do this again? Or every time you see an email come in, that just bitterness comes over you. And that's an important emotional signal that you've let something go on for too long that you're not happy with, that you feel is violating your boundaries or against your values, or you're being used in a way that you're not happy with. 
And so I would encourage everyone listening to take stock of your business right now. Where do you feel those feelings of resentment come in? And it may mean you need to create a new process or a flow. For example, maybe you are resentful every time a request for an appointment comes in. Perhaps you need to set up more gating so that you're qualifying people better before they reach you and you're not filling up your calendar with calls with people who are not actually a good fit for you to work with. Or it may be that you feel resentment when you work with a certain client. And there could be a lot of guilt around that. But when you start to see this emotion as a productive signal, you can realize that actually acting on that to perhaps end that engagement is actually what's in best service of me, but also the client, because it doesn't serve you or them for you to be showing up in that way with that attitude. People can feel that. And so I say that because I know it can come along with a lot of guilt for people. Which is a kind of a second level emotion, right? There's the emotional trigger of resentment. And now we've got to pack on, I feel bad about how I'm feeling about something, but, you know, guilt or jealousy, even anger. I, sh- I shouldn't be angry at that person. You know, I, my compassion should be here. But yeah, nipping that first trigger and solving for it. So it's an interesting one because I thought a lot about this too. How do we handle those emotions, which I agree are cues, you know, notice your emotions and invite those, the amygdala to calm down, say, thank you. You know, let's, let's invite the brain to settle down because we're in, we're in fight in that resentment. And, you know, until we can calm it down, our executive function can't come back in and say, let's have a strategy for this. And you're right, the gating and in the workshop I just gave this week, somebody said, you know, it's an education environment. And they're like, the students, they email us on the weekend and they expect a response. And I'm just like, it's ridiculous. Just look stuff up. The kids can just get, you know, they can just get to it on their own. And I said, what if there was some ground rule communication around that gating, right? So maybe it's the gate. Maybe you haven't talked about the gate (laughs) and said, you know what, students, you can knock yourselves out and send me emails all you want on the weekend but you won't get an answer, right? So so to figure out where it is, what can you do? What are the nuances to preserve the respect for yourself, which is really what's at threat if you're feeling some resentment. And I agree, Out of there's four words that you talk about as triggers and resentment for me is the, the, the big one. It's like, oh, if I don't deal with this, the irritation, the frustration, everything is it's going to lead to resentment. So deal with the low hanging fruit, those things in your business that are showing up that you're like, ah, I don't want to do that again. Some sort of relaxed problem solving time with some some distance from it, right? Not in that moment. It's going to be harder in that moment to solve it. So this kind of trust yourself, look through the book and with these strategies, come to this sort of nurturing approach to take care of you and yourself and your business. What are you going to do as an act of love to show up in your business in a way that you feel better about it. Well, what I love about what you were saying is that so often we can get into black and white, either or. And what you're encouraging people to look for is the and. How do I make it a win-win for me and my clients? And I think that's really important because as as you were talking about that depth of processing, I think when we are in that fear, overactivated, overstimulated state, we only see black or white. There's only two options and anything in between, we can't fathom it. So really looking for those gray areas and the and, because you can, you can find that creative solution that meets both parties' needs. 
I love that. Look for the and. Yeah, that's gorgeous because sometimes we feel that when we say no to someone else, we don't even step into the controversy of it because of that people pleasing nature as well. And we feel like it's going to be so angst filled, we can't get there. But I think a lot of Brene Brown's work around compassion as well, where she's like the most compassionate people are the most boundaried. And I think she made up that word, but I think she gets to at this point. <laughs> and so it preserves your ability to sustain your energy and keep keep giving because you've protected yourself. And in my own work, I talk about playing a graceful defense where we can claim what we need without sacrificing other souls. So how do we how do we figure out what the language is? How do we practice it? And I tell lots of stories about how I've got it wrong because, <laughs> you know, I tried something out and, oh, you know what, just going for the ask too early or, you know, it's tone. And it's more than just the words, it's the energy that you bring to the issue and it's body language it's all of how you show up so being in the right state where you can be in this place of trusting yourself i think is this is a profound life-changing opportunity to do this work and show up differently in your personal and professional life 100 percent. and you know i think so many of us especially who are more sensitive have been told our entire lives to stop being so sensitive and when you're told to stop being the way you are, you start to distrust yourself. You disconnect yourself from your intuition and what you know is best for you, your judgment, because you've been told all along that you can't trust it, that you shouldn't believe it, that it's too much, right? And so I think for so many of us, it's it's unlearning a lot of those messages that we've heard and starting to rework those muscles to, to actually say that, no, the, the way I show up, even if it's different than the other 80% of the population, that that is needed and that that brings so much value. But it's it's absolutely a journey. Absolutely a journey. Yeah, but such beauty to stand in those strengths. And you're right. I mean, I think Elaine Aaron said she would rename it if she had the choice now because sensitivity has such a bad rap. So I remember when I first started talking about it, and I think even on my website, it still has, besides sensitive, perceptive responsive. So in case anyone's triggered to say, I'm, that's not me, and they sort of don't take everything in, there's an opportunity to say, well, let's look at what, it, what we're really talking about here. And uh, rebrand sensitivity as, as sexy is, this, is my goal. It's like, it's, a, it's an attractive quality if we really understand what it invites. But I want to come now to one of the challenges that has been there for me. And I think it's this inner drive piece to be doing so much that I remember one of my coaches and accountability partners telling me, you're doing too many things, you're doing too many different things, and you can't possibly put yourself in, in all those directions. Like I was bringing a product to market, I was dealing in productivity, I was going into homes organizing, I was building a team to do that, it was, and I was doing media, so television segments and stuff. And it, when I think about it, the scope of what I was thinking about was very wide, even though I felt it was all synergistic and it made total sense, right? And so where, how do we get to that ability to let things go? I talk about instead of FOMO, we've got to get to JOMO, the joy of missing out, right? So do you have any thoughts to share on how we can love that inner drive, but not let it take advantage of us, if that's the way to describe it? Absolutely. And I think this comes back to what we were talking about before about the honor roll hangover. 
And there's actually a exercise in that chapter where I have readers track, track their time, the activities, the tasks that you're doing over a period of a few days and really evaluate what's my motivation for doing this tasks. Because many times we're just goal collecting. We're doing things we think we should do. We're doing things we've seen other people do that may work for someone who does not have the same nervous system makeup as us, or we feel like we need to do those things to keep up with other people, to make other people happy. Then we have all these commitments that it just feels like a mountain and we're not setting ourselves up to win. We're setting ourselves up to fail because we have so much on our plate that we can't possibly accomplish it all. And then you feel badly about yourself And then you take on even more to try to work yourself harder and be more disciplined. And then the cycle goes round and round and round again. So I do really encourage people to take stock maybe once a quarter, you know, do this as a quarterly sit down with yourself to really evaluate everything that is on your plate and start from zero. You know, there's that concept of zero-based accounting (laughs) that you start with zero and you figure out what needs to be added back in versus looking at everything you have now and what do I need to keep adding on to this? So zero-based goal setting. Zero-based goal setting. The way we would tackle a closet, take everything out and decide what goes back in, right? Exactly. Yeah. I love that. But it just struck me that, you know, work can be an addiction to fix failure. The way shopping could be that high that tries to fix something that's missing in life. We can go to work out of habit and think that more work is going to just, more work is the answer. And, you know, I I left the corporate world because I found it, the construct of it too exhausting. And I didn't like traveling and commuting every day and being in an office that wasn't really designed for me at all. And I became an entrepreneur and I still hadn't refined how I worked to sustain my energy. It took me another seven years to figure that out. And with young kids sort of waking up cranky and then went, wait, who is the boss that made me go to bed at midnight? Oh, that was me, right? There's like big realization in about 2015 that I was setting myself up to be depleted and not at my best. And so I'm curious what you're noticing in your work with the corporate world and the fact that highly sensitive people need more rest in their day, more rest and recovery. I talk about putting the pause in uh, multiple times in the day. Are you noticing any shifts with your clients and their environments. I mean, we've been in the pandemic, so people had, you know, if they were working from home, they had a bed, you know, steps away from their desk. I hope they took advantage of being able to take the rest they needed. But what are you noticing in in that corporate climate with response to rest and the need for it? It's interesting because right when the pandemic began, I noticed an immediate shift of people really having an awakening and reevaluating what do I really want out of my life and career? Instead of thinking about how do I choose a career and then figure out how to adapt my life around it, now the equation is reversed. How do I figure out what I want my life to look like and how do I find work that fits into that? So it's it's more work-life integration than it is work-life balance. And so I was seeing the whispers of this long before there was talk about the great resignation. And now that workplaces are opening up again, folks are coming back either now or expected to be back over the summer or fall. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear of going back to normal, losing some of that sense of balance and control over their environment. Because what we know about sensitive people is that 
we do best. We do better than average when we have control and we're in positive, supportive environments. We have worse than average outcomes when we're in non-supportive environments. And so, so many of my clients are in conversations right now. And so many of them are, are really rallying that assertiveness and advocating for themselves to make a case for being 100% remote or mostly hybrid and not going back into the office full time because they know it's it's just incompatible with who they are and frankly, how they do their best work and provide the most value to their company. So it's really been about how do I make a business case around this to my employer? And luckily, most have been amenable to that. Oh, I'm happy to hear that. I think, yeah, one, one of the things I've been incorporating in those leadership workshops is checking your bias around trust, control, and dare I say, convenience. I think for a lot of leaders, it's just easier to think, oh, I know Melody, she's going to be at this number and this place, and I can, I just know where she is so I can find her. Even if I'm out of town and I'm not there, I know where she is, right? So that's an interesting one. I think there's an interesting shift now in the world with a different kind of leverage for the employee. So your book, Trust Yourself, is an invitation to know yourself and then self-advocate too, to be able to know what you need and, and go for it, right? So never a better time to have those conversations. So for people running their own business, talk to your inner CEO, and, right? Don't you talk about a board of advisors yes. as well in the book? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So in the chapter on intuition, since so many of us, as I was saying, have become disconnected from that, that inner voice, that wisdom that we have. So there's an entire chapter on how do you get back in touch with what I call your sensitive striver sixth sense, which is that emotional and energetic decision-making tool that you have. And the exercise in that chapter is your inner board of directors, that all of us have these different values and drives and almost parts of ourselves that we have a, I know personally, I have a very ambitious part of myself, but then I have the part of myself who's a complete homebody. And some of those are, sometimes those two parts of me are at odds with themselves. So how can you bring them all to the table, metaphorically speaking, and have a conversation with them and decide which part do I want to bring forward now? And how do I navigate that discussion between what I want for myself. Yeah. So have that reflection and conversation with yourself. And I just love that concept. It's like, you need to check with your board of directors. Is this, is this where you want to go? And, and really it's that calm executive function mind. You're not under stress in that conversation. You're having a meeting <laughs> really with exactly. yourself, right? Which is, I think, just ultimately so powerful. And, and you suggested quarterly, right? And I think for businesses, I always say check in quarterly and any moment of stress, any moment where you're feeling overwhelmed, come back and go, okay, and our board of directors, how are we going to handle this? What do we need to reset? What do we need to let go of? And which is often for the striver, that inner drive part and even responsibility where we feel, you know, we might've lightly committed to something and it's, you know, maybe I need to rewrite this commitment now and reshape it. So it's not too much, so much wisdom, so much wisdom in this book, trust yourself. If you're watching YouTube now, you can see the book. If not capture it for sure in the show notes, stop overthinking and channel your emotions for success at work. Melody, any little point that you want to share as a closing on this part of our interview? I would say lean into your sensitivity as a strength, because when you stop fighting it, it can truly be your superpower. 
Yeah, I love that. I believe in using that word so much because I think there's been such shame around sensitivity that I think we need to really we need to really go big in standing in that strength. But it's very interesting on LinkedIn recently, there's been a lot of talk about dyslexia and a lot of dyslexic people will identify with high sensitivity as well. And there's a professor who's been shutting down the use of the word superpower because it might diminish the struggle that people with dyslexia have had to face. And they're like, it's not a superpower. I've had to develop skills to work around this thing. And I'm like, well, I think I understand where it's coming from. And I understand where the use of this word is. And I'm going to keep using it because I think we need this invitation to maybe the expression of the trait in its overused sense is not a superpower, but all the skills that we muster to really navigate how to deal with it and channel what are the incredible strengths, that's superpowers if I've ever seen them. Couldn't agree more that being a gentle, kind-hearted, softer person in a very harsh world is a tremendous gift, right? And as you were saying, takes tremendous strength and courage and perseverance to be you in a world that tells you it's wrong to be that way. So for that reason, as you were saying, I think it just gives you so much conviction and emotional fortitude. Yeah. Bravo. We will end our conversation here, but for all the listeners out there, you know, you can find all the episodes at napopodcast.com and you can listen on your platform of choice, but also over on YouTube, we always have special content and extra tidbits of information. So I hope you'll check out Standout on YouTube. Melody, I want to thank you again for joining us today and to our listeners out there as always. Stay safe, be kind to yourself, and enjoy your journey. That's all for today's episode of Stand Out, brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to join, learn more about our educational offerings, local chapters, and more.